0: Hi, welcome
1: to Nick Luck Daily. It's Thursday, the 5th of October. It's Tom Stanley in for Nick today. We'll have an update from the sales with Charlotte, as we did yesterday. We'll be looking ahead to the weekend. We we start, though, that's we as broadcaster Rishi Passad and I. We'll, we'll hear from Rishi very soon. The news that Westover has been retired due to a career-ending injury, and Javon Farm's Barry Mahn joins me now. Barry, so sorry to hear this. He's not going to race on, but but fundamentally he's OK, is he?
2: He's he's okay, Tom. Um, you know he, he unfortunately suffered a career-ending injury on Sunday, but uh, he, he's okay. He'll be fine uh, in time. He'll recover. And uh, it's very sad news. Um, unfortunately, this came to light on, on Tuesday evening, and uh, you know tests we carried out there yesterday showed that it's career-ending. And uh, you know, we're lucky to, to have had him for the last few seasons, and it's, it's been a great journey.
1: It's been a, it's been a tremendous journey, and that that second you know that w- was your feeling that he was as good as ever on Sunday
2: oh I think he was he was better than ever I think you know he's he's this year he's he's stepped it up to a, a whole different level obviously he was very impressive in an Irish Derby last year but this year he's he's competed at a much higher level and he's got he's given his all every time and he's gone down on a sword the days he got beaten you know France was special breaking the track record and um, I think it's you know he's he's just been a He's been a, a true champion this year. I'm sure he'll, he'll have an exciting exciting uh, career ahead of him as a you mm.
1: uh, While you're, you're with me, Barry, we, we are touching on, on the Sun Chariot. I haven't seen declarations yet. Is, is Coppice an intended runner there?
2: Yeah, Coppice is. She's an intended runner. Obviously, she ran well last weekend to win the stakes race. It's a huge step up in class. Um, it, it, the plan is that she will go to America to race as a four-year-old. Um, and John and Tadey felt she came out uh, last weekend in good form, and, and the ground I think is is going to be on the quick side, which mm. is important for her. So uh, we're going to let her take her chance, and uh, hopefully she'll run a good race.
1: Barry, thanks for your time, and um, yeah, all the best. Thanks, Tom. Rishi. It's it's really sad news, particularly given that international campaign he was set to have, and he ran his heart out at the weekend with with such a great performance.
3: Yeah, obviously, any horse that's injured and and has has to be forced off the, the racetrack is, is sad, Tom. But clearly, when it's a high-profile horse that so many of us know and have come to appreciate over the last two seasons, it, it carries a little bit more pain, um, particularly a horse like Westover. You say, you know, the international campaign that has been, had been planned for him, a uh, possible trip to the Breeders' Cup, Japan, and then who knows what what next year would have held for him. But of course, he has had an international campaign over the last two seasons. You know, his last nine races have all been at Group One level. Uh, you know, he won the the Irish Derby. He was behind Desert Crown in the Derby, a little bit unlucky. He ran in the Arc last year. Um, you and I were lucky enough to see him behind Equinox in the Shima Classic, one of the, if not, the best race over a mile and a half on turf. You know, and that might include the Arc. That's up for debate. Um, he's, he's
1: managed to run into some pretty good horses hasn't he? Yeah, Equinox, Equinox Emily John,
3: Hookham and Ace Impact are the four horses to pip him in a Group 1 this year um, and in between that he also won a Group 1 at St. Cloud when he beat Zagre who would have also run in the Equinox Shima Classic so all the form stacked up, he was High class. I mean, his official rating, 127. Um, Top, top class mile and a half horse. A little bit of a throwback to the old days of a horse that's a sort of out and out mile and a half horse. Nine group ones, all at a mile and a half. He didn't drop back in trip to advertise his his speed over a mile and a quarter or anything like that. He was just a a proper old-fashioned middle distance group one horse. And hopefully, there'll be a place for him at stud that will entice breeders because it's not all about speed as he, he proved in his career.
1: Well, uh, Barry touched on Coppice there as well, who's, who's set to run in the feature this weekend. The Sun Chariot, the Group 1 at Newmarket. Uh, Rishi, obviously, in, in spiral in there. The French filly looks a good renewal.
3: Yeah, it is a decent renewal. And obviously, in spiral, that's the standard. Um, if she is at her absolute best, it's not always guaranteed. But the official ratings only have one pound between Inspiral and Marquise de Savine, who has obviously won her last two starts, Group 1 races. And interestingly, she sort of came to life or, or blossomed two starts back when dropping down in trip and i thought that might have been the key to her but actually she stepped back up in trip and beat via Sistina over 10 furlongs last time um and quite a young talented rider alexis Pouchant, is going to be on board so it adds to the to the mix for the weekend uh, i'm not sure just beautiful is going to run um which leads me to thinking that I might have an each way shot with one horse in the race in Heredia, who I really like. I've always liked her. And I thought um, she might get placed in a group one eventually. And here's the opportunity for her to do that.
1: Another filly in the race is Random Harvest, the mount of Safi Osborne, who joins me now. Safi, how do you rate your chances? <laughs>
4: Yeah, um, things haven't really gone her way the last couple of times. Uh, ground sort of at Goodwood, but uh, back on quick ground hopefully this week. And uh, no, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't
1: sort of say she goes there without a chance. Uh, you, you know, the horses in the background suggest you're at the sales. Uh, I I don't know why I I interview different people on a different time. Which there should just be a room for everyone at the sales where they can do quick Nick Luck daily interviews because I think you're about the third today, but there you are. <laughs> Um know yeah,
4: everyone seems to be here.
1: What was her best run this season, do you think, Random Harvest?
4: Um, I'd I'd probably say on figures wise you'd say her run in the Duke of Cambridge. Mm. Um was probably her best. It was the day she got the ground that she wanted. It was it was really quick ground at the Royal Meeting and um on sort of figures you'd say that run. Um obviously um Tom Clavers horse has come out and done really really well the rest of the season, so um, yeah, probably the Duke of Cambridge.
1: Is she best when she when she goes forward?
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's sort of when you watch her running style. She's run her best races on the front end. She doesn't necessarily have to make the running. And um, when she finished second in the Group Three at, um, on on Derby Day, she was um, up on the pace. And when she won her Group Three at Ascot, she um, she was making the running. So no, it is. Um, yeah, it's pretty apparent that she likes to be on the front end. Um she didn't she didn't break very well at Goodwood, which didn't really help her chances but the the ground was definitely the thing that was going against her that day.
1: And you've ridden her on her last twelve or thirteen starts, I think. What what have you learnt about her in that time?
4: Um, huge amounts of well, that she likes quick ground. Mm. <laughs> um, but um no she's she's been an amazing horse for me. Um I first got on her at the Royal rating last year in a handicap when she was rated about eighty and I think she's now sort of about 10, 107 108, so um, you no, know, she's been an amazing horse for my career. We've sort of struck up a pretty good rapport and um, we seem to get on quite well.
1: Anything else at the weekend you're looking forward to getting on?
4: Um, drama, I really like drama in the sales race. Um, things didn't really go his way in the sales race on the July course, and um, I worked him last week, and he feels he's fine better than. Um, yeah, I really like his chances, I'm sort of away from mine. Of course, over in the last twice is Dark Trooper that's running in the Bengalf and um, obviously can't ride him because I'm at Ascot. But, mm. um, sorry, at Newmarket, mm. but um, no, I'd, I'd, I'd really like him this weekend.
1: Are you Dubai bound this winter? You were last year. Are you back there this year?
4: Um, yeah, I'll hopefully be there when the carnival starts. Um, as hopefully got a handful of horses to go out there and sort of see what else I can get on. Um, I was. Potentially planning to go to Australia for a bit, um, but I'm going to see how the season gets on, see how close I can get to 100 winners for the hmm. year, which would be unbelievable for the first year out my team, and um, so I'm going to sort of stick around until Christmas and, and try and see how close I can get to that.
1: Okay, so is Australia springtime off the cards as well? That you'll put that on on the back burner for a bit.
4: Yeah, it just sort of depend um, depend on sort of how everything's going and. Um, if I can keep the ball rolling and try and get us close to 100,
1: that's what I'm going to try and do. Great stuff. Safi, you can stop ringing that bell now. Thanks a lot.
4: <laughs> Thanks.
1: On to an, anything else that leaps out at you this weekend, Rishi, between plenty of different tracks. Obviously, it's not a, a Group 1 bonanza. We've got Future Champions weekend next weekend, but we've got one Group 1 and, and lots of racing with the red card two-year-old trophy. Good card good at car Ascot as well. Yeah, there's obviously great
3: racing, uh, certainly on the flat for the next few weeks as we come to the climax of the season there's one horse that i hope gets the recognition this season for a remarkable spell through handicaps and that's quinault he's due to run in the challenge cup at ascot on the weekend he's won seven handicaps this season he started off his first win off a mark of 59 he's now 102 just to win seven handicaps in one season is extraordinary um and I know there are horses like Paddington and obviously August Rodan and whoever else this season have done amazing things at the highest level. But I think that in itself for Quinault um, makes him one of the horses of the season because to do what he's done requires physically requires an enormous amount of improvement. Um, so I think it's one one of the most remarkable things of the season, and I I hope his winning run continues. Uh, were he to line up in the Challenge Cup at Ascot on Saturday,
1: when someone pays tribute to a to a horse like that, that's only right. You get the trainer on board. Stuart Rishi saying that to, to to win that many handicaps in a year is is quite phenomenal, and and the the rise he's taken in his stride. You, you must be so impressed with what he's achieved. Yeah, I mean, he's been a star for us this year, obviously, and, um,
0: you know, he's thrived on his racing, and to be fair to him, he's, the more racing he's had, the more settled into it he's got, and, you know, the the, the better he's become.
1: Um, do you feel now that, obviously, he's done his, his winning by and large over six, but... Do you feel now that that come the end of the season he's more a seven horse or not necessarily? It's just how the races have Well, forward.
0: I mean, I, he's definitely bred to get at least this far, and um, obviously saw the race out well last time, so I'm very happy with him at seven furlongs. You know, on different ground, we might go back to
1: six. Hmm. If he wins and he and he and he ends up rated, you know, knocking on 109, 110, do you do you roll the dice in the big one at the end of the year? i'd I'd have to talk to tom about that that Mm. would be a decision
0: that we'd make together afterwards but it's we left him in the other day you know with that in mind sort of thing so it would be a discussion um obviously we'd do the right thing for the horse in the first place and make sure he came out of the race good and then have a have a conversation about it afterwards
1: yeah that's the, the champion sprint um is 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 decent ground not necessarily quick but anything away from soft ground important to him or not I don't
0: know. We've never tried him. I mean, he won the the Thursday that he won at Newmarket before he won on the Saturday, in the spring was good to soft ground, but he was off seventy four or something like that that day. So you know, it, it's hard to say. It's hard to say that he's better on with a bit of cut in the ground, but it's hard to say he doesn't go on it either. So you know, until we until we find it, until we find out. You, you, you race them on it you don't really find out for sure um if it was so the problem with Newmarket, the, the the good and the bad is that if it was wet on work day at Newmarket, if we wait two days it's dry and we mm-hmm. can work them on good ground so we never really get to try them on really wet ground at home so it's always on the track that we um that we end up making those decisions
1: thanks Stuart good luck
0: no worries, thank
1: you. Well, the horse that Quinault beat last time was was Potmaster, and Potmaster's gone out and won a listed race since. And Potmaster is owned by the man that joins me now, Lawrence Bellman, who I had the pleasure of catching up with straight after the race, Lawrence. And you were you were absolutely delighted. I think you referred to him as your just about your favourite horse. Is that right?
5: Well, I said he's an uh, apple of my eye. Mm. Um, you know, when when you have a horse that's five years old and you've had him, you know, since he was a yearling, uh, it's it's good that he's you know. Progressed over the last three or four years.
2: What
1: what has led to this consistent improvement? He's now rated 109, which we'll come to. But you know, as a five year old, what, what, how have you got to this stage?
5: To be honest, we don't know. I mean, Ed always thought he's got um, a stakes win in him, uh, but he's a quirky boy um but he's in just such fine form this year i mean he's really improved this year i mean he did win twice uh in his first season but then i think he found it hard in the sprints uh, we aimed him at all the hard races big heritage handicaps the wokingham etc which he he nearly won he came second um but I think he actually prefers smaller fields. uh, That helps him. Um, But he seems to love Ascot. That's his home, which is no bad thing to be loving Ascot. And um, he's just thrived this year. He's just in great form. He comes out of his races bouncing. He wants to go and run again.
1: And, and you'll know that on the racing TV coverage with George Baker and I previewing the race, I think he was the only horse we didn't talk about before it. And then we felt really guilty when he went and won. And went up nine, which is more than I thought he might, to be fair. But I suppose he beat 114 horse.
5: Yes, I mean, I don't think that horse performed so well, but he relished everything. The ground was soft. And he really re- relishes soft ground, which he won't have at Ascot, I don't think. It would be on the, sounds like the soft side of goods, but um, but he does enjoy the hill at Ascot, uh, as well as obviously winning at Newbury. Um, but yes, he's thriving, and uh, going to seven furlongs has been sort of the making of him, more than the six furlongs.
1: He is. Would he be sort of typical as the sort of bracket you're looking to spend in, and, and you know what you're looking to achieve with a with a horse? Is that is that your sort of modus operandi, Lawrence?
5: Oh, I just want a horse to enjoy his racing life and win and win a few times. I mm. didn't think he would be a hundred plus horse. I mean, when he was bought for a relatively cheap sum eighteen thousand guineas. um... I just, I just loved the horse. I just, you know, had no idea what he would achieve, particularly from his breeding. It's not like at the sales at the moment where he, you have to spend seven figures or well, six or seven figures these days. Mm.
1: Well, look, given that I've had you and Stewart on, I hope one of you wins it. I can't. I've got to, I've got to be non-partisan. Stewart
5: to win it again. <laughs> Stewart's always winning. No, I mean uh, Quinault ran really well that day and we we would have him but uh, his speed he, you know he had just that speed in him and we couldn't catch him
1: mm. Wish you all the best, thanks for your time, cheers Lawrence
5: Thanks Tom Well Rishi, Hong
1: Kong, something caught my eye whilst scrolling through Twitter yesterday evening which my wife loves incidentally there's nothing she likes <laughs> more than me sat there, and Does she do it with you? Um no so, no. Well, with me in the sense that she is with me and she is watching scowling, but yes. uh, I wouldn't take <laughs> this process with me. And, and I tell her it's work. Um so there we are. But apparently it's more important to focus on what we're watching or our or our child. So um Vincent Ho you have two she, children, don't you? Two, yeah. Yeah, but only one on a monitor, not sleeping. Anyway, Vincent Ho uh got a ten day ban for um well, for for not uh, ensuring the best possible finishing position, <laughs> he did heated on the line. And, and I, I've got to say, first look, uh, and thanks to Graham Cunningham for bringing this to my attention. Uh, first look, I thought, what? What did you make of it? Uh, exactly that, Tom. I, 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 when I was uh,
3: sent the link to the finish... Uh, and I was told that the, that a jockey got a 10 day ban. I didn't listen to the commentary and I, I just watched it without the commentary, first of all, because like you, I was sent it whilst I was watching something else on the television. So considered at work, so quietly surreptitiously looked at it on the sofa whilst something else was on the television. And I couldn't work out who the issue was with, which horse the issue was with, because I couldn't see anything wrong in the two riders that crossed the line in the dead heat. Um and then obviously once turning the volume up, I realized that it was the horse in the yellow, um, and that was Vincent Ho's rock horse. Um I, I, I don't understand why he would have got banned for that. I don't think anything he did made a material difference to the outcome of the result. He stood up in the irons maybe centimeters before the line, where it's 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 impossible. By standing up in in the irons just centimetres before the line, considering the momentum of the horse, the physics of it means that he could have no impact by standing up in in the saddle or easing off a fraction just before the line. Physics will tell you there's no way that he could have prevented that horse from... or or, he caused that horse to to slow down in any way before it hit the line. So I don't understand how he's then picked up a 10-day ban other than the rules of the ra- of, of racing in Hong Kong are so strict that you ride out to and through the line, I assume. So to the line involves every inch, centimeter, millimeter to the line. And just that fraction that he has stood up or eased off centimeters before the line has cost him a 10-day ban. The one positive out of it is is that you do have that certainty with the rules in Hong Kong that you step out of line that much, even that much and they are going to punish you and punish you severely. Whereas it's a little bit more discretionary and open to debate and discussion and whatever else over in the UK, for example, and jockeys, as we've seen, you know, throughout the season, we'll always spot one, two or three jockeys around the scene who do ease off and unfortunately get caught out and uh, have to, have to bear the brunt of it. Maybe, we ought to be a little bit more draconian
1: in how we police it. I I should, for clarity, um, tell you exactly what the ban was for. So it was for for failing to ride his mount out all the way to the end of the race to the satisfaction of the stewards, not um, failing to achieve the best possible finishing position, although the two are probably interchangeable. And the original um, post, actually, by the the Hong Kong Jockey Club Racing, is, is not there anymore. Um, but there is, if you want to see it, there's a, there's a head on, you can see online uh, in, on Graham's, um, Twitter and it's, and it, yes, he does rise up ever so slightly, uh, you know, maybe 10, 20 centimeters before the line, but harsh, you can't question the integrity of the racing over there in any sense because of, of, um, decisions like that. Hall of Famers, Rishi, you're, yeah. you're a Hall of Fame fan, aren't you? Massive. Massive Hall of Fame fan,
3: particularly when it highlights my heroes of the 80s in the sport of horse racing. The greatest, the greatest decade, in my opinion, in the sport.
1: Go on. So Steve Cawthon is in there. I know you did a sit down interview with Steve Mellish and Steve Cawthon. Who was your favourite? Instance. Who's my favourite? What? Steve, in that instance. Which Steve? That's a a really awkward one. Um, Well, if I I was either a listening, rich so.
3: Yeah, well, I think well, it depends who's, who is listening. Uh, on, on the day, obviously, I told Steve Cawthon that he was my favorite. Um, and when we left, I said to Mellish that he was still my favorite. And he believed me. <laughs> More fool him.
1: And Pebbles <laughs> as well. Uh, go
3: on, discuss. Um, uh, delighted with the fact that Steve Cawthon has been recognized. Uh, as I said, the 80s, my favorite decade in racing. Um, full of wonderful memories and, and wonderful characters, and people who changed the game. I think you know, and Steve Cawthon changed changed horse racing for the better. He changed the way riders um, went about their business. He came over from the states having won the Triple Crown. I mean, I, re- I remember doing the research for that that interview and and noting that in the late seventies, only two sportsmen made the cover of Time magazine in a 12 to 18 month period one was Muhammad Ali and the other was Steve Cawthon and that young Steve Cawthon then made the transference from the states to riding in Britain and he obviously rode for Barry Hills to begin with went to Sir Henry Settle or Henry Settle as he was then and he dominated through the period of the 80s you know, some of the horses that he rode whether it was a slip anchor reference point, um, but for me, one of the greatest memories of the eighties was Steve Cawthon riding Oso oh Sharp. And he actually said that one of the reasons why he wanted the job uh with Henry was that he wanted to ride Oso oh Sharp in her three-year-old season. And she was a magnificent racehorse, you know, winning the Phillies Triple Crown. Um and and he 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 did it with a style and a panache. And I know it's a cliche for people to say that, but genuinely. He did it with a style in panache. You watch the old videos of him riding in the saddle. It is a beautiful thing to watch. And the way he would, you know, he, he set, set a horse out from the front, you know, a sip anchor in, in, the, in the 85 Derby. And he's without question produced one of the most exhilarating performances I've ever seen in a classic. Um, whether it's something like that or whether it's, you know, a little bit more of a, a, a late dash on Oso oh Sharp in the 1000 Guineas just to get up on the line uh, in in a brilliant finish, you know, with the likes of Alba Hathry and Bella Calora and horses that I remember so vividly. And that's the thing about someone like Steve Cawthon, his impact on me. And, and I imagine on, on you know, a lot of racing fans through that period, that the imagery, the memories are so vivid of his brilliance that it's, <clears throat> it's fair and it's just that he has earned a place in the British Racing Hall
1: of Fame. Yes, to add to his uh, American Hall of ness Pebbles was the British Horse of the Year in eighty five, Time for Horse of the Year in eighty five, the the Eclipse U.S. Champion Female Turf Horse in nineteen eighty five for a sole success over there. What did you What did you make of her and and her addition to the Hall of Fame? Uh, again, Pebbles. Um, some of the performances
3: were extraordinary uh, through that. 80 uh, spell her win in the champion stakes has again the way she has she travels through that race against some mighty horses you know the, the the depth of quality in that field was something else but to do what she then does in america in the Breeders cup turf you know slipping through the inside rail and the pat edery and denying steve cawthon funny enough who was riding strawberry road um again those memories are, are so vivid and 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 the, the transatlantic double of winning the champion stakes and then of course going on to win the breeders cup turf is it, it was rare and obviously the international challenge and succeeding abroad was was not as prevalent as it is these days and we take it for granted a little bit horses shipping across the world now but in those days it was quite exciting and it was quite a thrill to go to a different uh, continent and conquer it and she did that and she was absolutely brilliant and got a brilliant ride from another legend in Pat Henry when she won the Breeders' Cup turf.
1: All right. Charlotte's at Newmarket for us. Another day of book one at Tats. What can she tell
6: us? Hi, Tom. Thanks. Yes, back at Tassel's book one ahead of day three of the sale. Um, and just looking back on yesterday, the top lot was a Frankel out of Bizaria uh, from Hascombe and Valiant stud. He made two million to Coolmore. Um, and alongside me now is Polly Bonner of Saracen and, Polly, you've had quite the journey with Haskell and Stud, haven't you?
7: Well, it's been a really rewarding relationship um, in all respects because they're such a great team to work with and beautiful, wonderfully bred horses, obviously. But we first started in the spring that Golden Horn was then prepped for the sales um, in 2013. So he was in their first draft of yearlings. And I think we all know the story there. He went through the ring and they took him home and raced him themselves to great glory. And there was something particularly poignant about the fact that it was a cracksman-sired winner of the Prix de l'Arc de de Triomphe after Golden Horn had obviously won it in their colours. So there's a lot of nice connections and links that you can put together, I think, within all of their families, which just make it doubly exciting. It was their highest price ever, and I gather now I'm being told that um, when it gets looked and put through the currencies, that he is actually just a squeak above the horse that made all the money in Arcana, which is very nice again for all the team at Haskim and the Oppenheimer family. And just to follow through, I suppose, a little bit about what uh, Dr. Pagan was saying on the last segment, he weighed 63 kilos at birth, which, again, is a very very respectable birth weight clearly Um, we tend to have uh, guardrails that Joe would refer to in that we look at probably the lowest weight and the highest weight so that there's a safe sweet spot space between those and that's between 46 kilos at birth and 64 so he just tucks in into the slightly safer space when above that quite often you would tend to see potential issues when they arrive at falling 30 percent heavier than the average you can imagine on very soft bones with that amount of birth weight and body weight that can be more troublesome so he tucked neatly into joe's data set which um which works quite well um i will be going through that with joe later i imagine (laughs) Um, because he's been obviously following the Keeland horses, and he's now following the Book One horses that we grow track. So it's quite a nice, it's a nice way to make sure that everything that we've predicted and thought about sits together. And clearly, we'll be watching what he does next when he's racing.
6: And you mentioned obviously you've seen him as a foal, you've seen his weight. How has he progressed from sort of moment one to getting up here? From when you've seen him, I don't know how often you get down there. To... I'm
7: usually there once a month, every six weeks, something like that, depending on the time of year. Um, he was he was a very smart foal and. He didn't really have an ugly duckling stage, which some of them can do. He was always on the tall side. Um, but I think anybody who was watching him here and definitely in the ring yesterday, a little bit babyish. He did a bit of shouting as he went round the ring, but it never broke that beautiful long stride he has.
6: So always a very athletic horse. And expectations, I'm assuming, they were probably quite high for him, but maybe not quite that oh on Oh, gosh, that, that no. level. Um,
7: I think they were bowled over by <laughs> that. Um, They sold a Dubawi for £1.3 in 2017, if I recall correctly. So that was by far the highest price. And, yeah, I mean, clearly they had expectations with that page and how he looked. But, um, yeah, I, I think they were over the moon and probably slightly overwhelmed. I think it's still sinking in with the team right now this morning um you know it's it's thrilling when something like that happens and they've put so much time and effort in
6: and just in terms of your role when you get here ahead of the sale whether it's book one or book two what's your sort of aim throughout the week when you're here Would you well to
7: a certain extent i'm wanting to check every horse that we've prepared together so that we can make sure that they did turn into what we envisaged you know we've all got a vision at the start of prep and probably a lot earlier than that with uh, homebreds um but you just want to make sure that they do peak at the right moment, that they're eating well and they're comfortable while they're here. Um, we just had two hunger strikers, but they got over that within a couple of days. As I said last time, it's, it's a big change in environment. It's a lot that we expect from these youngsters. And the most that we can do to make sure they're comfortable digestively, the better. Tassels are always very good. They buy very good hay. Um, but we obviously want to have no break in their feeding patterns. And when they're busy showing all day long, mm. you have to be quite careful to make sure that you are actually managing to keep their energy levels up and keep them sweet. You know.
6: Yeah, and they, it's hard to give them that when they're being sort of showed all day to exactly. just leave them alone for their lunch or exactly. something. Yeah, because there's, so n- there's no break for that.
7: So it's just all of the teams have to be very clever about slotting in a moment where they can get a little bit of feed
6: into them when they're busy. And you said then there's quite a lot of adjustments then that go on up here and you just think, ooh.
7: Usually not too many.
6: Most of the time we can
7: keep it all together, but there are odd occasions when we do just have to enhance their appetite a little bit and help them along, just to make sure that they're not going to tuck up or tighten up too much. And, and to be sure that obviously everything's
6: comfortable from a
7: gastric perspective.
6: And just for, from your perspective personally, what does it mean for you to have sort of followed a horse through the sale or sort of any of these horses and the effort that goes in from the moment they're born to seeing them go through the sales ring and having a result like that? How does, you know, what do you, what do you feel in that moment? Oh,
7: it's job satisfaction at its best. It, it's the same as producing a group one winner and helping a trainer and their team get those horses winning those top level races it's the same for the breeders you know this is the world cup the super bowl whatever you want to call it this is the pinnacle moment each year and so yeah it's it's huge just to be able to play a small part absolutely
1: Uh, thanks to charlotte there more from her tomorrow with the saturday edition which is released friday evening risha we move on to premiere easy for me to say some tracks who aren't going to be involved in in this shop window by and large but who do most of their racing on a saturday are taking extra measures to try and counter the potential losses they see as a result of the premierization what are they
3: well some race courses are starting to think what well, it's what's the the marketing phrase outside the box or whatever it is um because of the concerns of what effect premarization might have and um chester one of those race courses that are, are concerned they have fears that or they believe that, that they're actually going to bear the brunt is the quote in the racing post more than some other race courses about the effect of premarization and so they've sought to um to purchase fixtures from other race courses So they've purchased one fixture from Newmarket, one from cadrick And I think there's been a bit of a swapping of fixtures here and there as well. Um, I, I understand why they'll have to do that or why they want to do that, because obviously they want to hold their position uh, as best as they can to what they've got at the moment. And that primarization is going to come in and it will cause a, a ripple effect through the industry. I think, personally, looking at the whole picture, it is. It, it, what, what has happened over the years, and you know, it's, it's a discussion that I know we've had many a time, whether it was yourself or, or with Nick on the podcast, that racing has just got the, 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 the pie has just got smaller and smaller, and that there are more, more and more people wanting to have a piece of it. And unfortunately, there isn't enough to go around. And so the ultimate consequence is that the BHA have to do something about it. That's that's They're going to try primarization. It's not the be-all and end-all, but they're going to trial it and see how it works. Um, and as a consequence, it's going to have a knock-on effect on others. But the problem is, is that all the others have somehow managed to sustain themselves, and they've had to think outside the box for this, such a long period. They've had to think of other ways of uh, ensuring financial uh, stability and it's not just with racing so you know they're trying to think of other ways to keep their race are separate businesses within themselves and i think that's where you know one of the biggest issues for me in the sport is is the fact that racecourses have to operate as independent businesses within the overall structure of the racing industry and it's impossible therefore almost impossible to to have any control the bha have struggled to have control over the over what racecourses do and and over what amount of money there is. I mean, racecourses, for example, Chester, who have bought those couple of fixtures, they've spoken about the fact that you know racing um, needs its racecourses to deliver great experiences for horses, jockeys, owners, trainers, and all that sort of stuff. They all say these things, but then a lot of racecourses operate as businesses for themselves and they don't put enough money back into racing for prize money and so as a consequence the sport suffers and the knock-on effect of that suffers and horses disappear they go off to other countries etc the sport is suffering at the top level and then what happens there's not enough revenue from levy so the bha start thinking of doing something else Premierization might be a, a reason for it to reduce the amount of racing top quality racing in a shop window and then those race courses who don't put enough money back into the, pri- into the prize funds because they're making profits themselves because they're our own independent businesses, then suddenly what happens is they go, oh, well, we need to think of something else to do. Um, and so it's it's partly feels like we go around in circles a little bit, um, but it, it's the nature of how things are now set up, the structure of racing in this country with race courses, the BHA, um, it's, it's continuing to be a battle. Um and I know that Chester are doing their best for themselves um which is very understandable in in this situation but whether or not that is is in the you know the way that things are going to pan out is in the best interest of of the sport i think ultimately there has to be a reduction in something fixture list being one of the things and whether that happens enough to revitalize the sport sooner rather than later we'll find out.
1: Thought a catch up with Ollie Sangster would be welcome this time of year. He's got some really nice juveniles to to go to war with for the end of the season. Notably, Shawari, who was just touched off last time, shaped as though a mile would suit. And Ollie's with me. Is she Philly's mile bound?
8: Yeah. Hi, Tom. Um, it's definitely a possible target at the moment. Uh, she seems to have come out of the rockfall really well. Um, ran a great race in, in, in what was a race that possibly didn't quite suit. Um, and yeah, I think the step up to a mile on pedigree, anyway, and, and on the way she finished in the Rockefeller would would be a would be a good next option. Um, yeah, look, it's it's a close enough backup there between the two. Um, but she seems to have taken the race well, and we'll just we'll leave her in it and just see how it's looking and see how the filly is before making our decision there. Yeah,
1: were you, were you disappointed in the Rockfell? I guess obviously to an extent, but you know.
8: Um, look, ultimately, I was happy, and if someone had offered me early in the year second. In the Rockefell, I'd have would have been delighted in taking it. Um, I suppose slightly in circumstances and the way the race panned out, um, getting a bit strung out and things naturally, we thought we might have been able to finish a bit closer. Um, but ultimately, I think you have to be delighted with second in a group two. Yeah.
1: Will she definitely run again this season? If it's not the if it's not the Phillies Mile, is it nothing, or are there other options?
8: Uh, if it's not the Phillies Mile, it's nothing. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, and then all 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 sort of working back from a Guineas trial next year. Yeah, I suspect so. Okay. Um,
8: I think the step up to a mile will suit her well. Um, she has a few, has got plenty of speed, um, but I think the step up to a mile will definitely
4: suit her well, yeah. Uh,
1: some, some nice entries for Per Contra, who's uh, footsteps in the sand, who's two from two so far. Is, is a, a group one on his agenda this year? I guess it's you know, you've got Dewhurst or Futurity, or, or might you tread calmer waters first?
8: Um, I think we're going to tread calmer waters. Um, I'm lucky to have some great new owners in Watson Racing who, are, who own him, um, and they're very patient. Um, and he's very much a horse for next year, um, so we won't we won't overface him this year. Um, he's in the autumn and there's Etlund. They're at Newmarket next weekend. Let's the autumn awesome would be the more likely target, um, but it looks like we're going to have a lot of hot weather through the weekend and next week, and I won't run him if the ground comes up too fast um he's also gonna be in the silver tankard mile listed race Pontefract at the end of the month which depending on ground may maybe where he goes um I'd, I'd like to run him in the autumn but again if it comes up too fast he won't run there but, but really he's a big scopy horse and he's a horse for next year
1: does he want he's one on good to soft and soft is it just that you'd want to keep him away from an extreme but but good ground would not worry you right
8: no good, good ground would be fine um yeah his best work at home has always been on good or slower. Um, he's a big horse, and he's got a um, good sort of knee action on him. And, and I've always thought, um, and based on his work as well, that he'd always prefer it good or slower.
1: Well, what, um, what? But, Sorry, yeah. go on. Go on, Ollie.
8: No, no. Yeah, but like I said, look, he's a big horse, and, and sure, I wouldn't wouldn't feel the need to run him on anything mm-hmm. too fast this year. You know what I mean? What, what with him being a horse for next year, anyway?
1: How many two-year-olds do you have this year, Ollie? Uh, I've got 24. Okay. So to have the the quality at the at the top end that you've got, you must be delighted with, with what you've achieved so far this year.
8: Yeah, yeah, delighted. Look naturally with with, with having most of the Yard and Two Year Olds it's a bit of a roll of the dice. But um we're lucky that we've got a couple of good ones and another few winners out there as well amongst from the two we've just talked about. Mm. So so it's been good you know i'm at the yearling sales at the moment trying to trying to reload and find find the ones for next year anyway
1: hmm. what's it we're very we're touching on that today what's it like there is it just is it sort of you know mind-blowing figures knocking around or can you uh can yeah
8: for, look for someone for someone like me working on a limited budget it's it, book one's probably not the week to be hmm. to be to be working around that but look you've got to be here and seeing the horses and, and there's lots of very nice horses here but we'll go to some very nice homes and, and no doubt be good race horses um um, I'm sort of boxing around a bit and if we can get one or two this week it'll be great but really next week book two and three are the sort of weeks for me anyway
1: okay hope you find some bargains over the next couple of weeks and, and perhaps today as well cheers Ollie. cool thanks Tom Rishi just before a tip I'm just going to throw this one at you throw it throw it hurl it uh Goosary Racing uh, of course uh, delighted with the victory of Ace Impact Who they bought into in the the pretty like the Triumph, they've tweeted, but an hour ago, a quote. It says, mm. at de gloire, il y a le fait d'avoir osé Apologies for that terrible French. Now that means, you know what it means, don't you, Rishi? Of course. Yeah. And I will tell you anyway, it means at the origin of all the glory there is the fact of having dared to begin. As is best. this is this possibly a little cryptic? Ace impact is going to race on because he's daring, or or? Oh no! I, I, I thought I'm reading that as that's that's the end. Oh no! Why? Why are you reading that at the end?
3: <sighs> why would you Why would you say stuff like that?
1: The origin of all the glory there is the fact of having dared to begin.
3: Yeah, just the fact that they dared to begin. What well, he dared to have a racing career.
1: That's it. Well. It's probably absolutely nothing to do with it, but I just thought it might. It was interesting. It's just sort of... It's surprising. thrown me. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing to just, just pop out there. Um, everyone wants to know whether or not he's going to race on and whether or not he's going to head to the Gem Hand Cup and take on Equinox. And, um,
3: yeah. I'd love him to race on.
1: Uh, how good would it be? How- be that would be fantastic. It would be fantastic. But if he was yours, what would you do? Oh, uh, well, if...
3: The romantic in me tells me that if ever I owned a horse quite like that, I'd want to race him on. And and I'd, you know, I would dream of a, I'd go to the Breeders Cup, the Japan Cup, the Dubai World Cup, the Saudi Cup. That's the sort of <laughs> I'd dream of all of that. But the reality is that no one will do that and I probably wouldn't do that if I had a horse that good, because I would be smothered with the idea of earning money out of it. Um, uh, I would want to be adventurous, though. I'd be honest. If I owned a horse like that, I'd want to be adventurous. I'd want to win with him. I'd go. I'd go Japan Cup. If he if he was mine now, I'd go Japan Cup. Keep him in training next year. One of the races in whether it's Dubai World Cup or Saudi, bring him back and keep her, keep her all the way. No, <sighs> he's already proven he's the best horse in a mile mile and a half on turf. What well, what am I going to do with that? I'm gonna go and smash up Equinox in the Japan Cup, and then I'm gonna come back and win, beat the best of the Americans when they come over for the dirt in, in in the Middle East, and then I'll come over win the come over to Britain win the Eclipse King George maybe, um, have a break, come back win the Arc, then go Breeders' Cup. Thank you very much. Off to stud.
1: I don't even ever need a tip for you after that. <laughs> I think just <laughs> I'll smash up Equinox in the Japan Cup was good enough. No, I don't
3: have... think. Uh, to be honest, actually, I'd be surprised if anything can touch Equinox. He is the king, as far as I'm concerned. Still, a tip, please, Rashid. Uh Linkfield, three fifteen today. Tom Mitwa, awkward draw. Install eleven, um, but he's got a really good pedigree. He's only rated sixty nine. Um, he's up against a Mark Johnson horse who's won his last three and has got a twelve pound penalty, but Mitwa. Uh, Jim Crowley's riding in from stall 11 so it's slightly awkward but Jim Crowley has ridden nearly 300 winners on the all-weather at Lingfield so I'm sure he knows what he's doing, don't let me down Jim
1: Uh, I'm sure he won't Rishi, thank you very much, more cryptic French messages from everyone involved in racing please, it gets us talking at least, Nick will be back tomorrow and we'll chat to you then please do like and subscribe, it's the best no-cost way of supporting this podcast, so if you like it, do it (music) bye-bye